The other day I heard a story uh, on the, the podcast Snap Judgment. Um, it's an NPR uh, podcast uh, storytelling. And uh, so the story was about a man <coughs> who grew up in a uh, coal mining town in the, in the United Kingdom. And uh, he turned 18 and out in the mid-80s. And his father was a coal miner, and the son knew that he would simply go, and he would become a coal miner. And the thought was, well, then his kids would be coal miners, and their kids would be coal Just sort of naturally going on from there. And, and for him, he said it, was, it was a comfort for him to have that all worked out. It gave him a, a sense of sort of identity, and it took away any uncertainty. Everything was clear. But a short time after he started working in the mine, the union uh, started talking of the plans that the government had to shut down uh, some of the coal pits and um, uh, and lay, basically lay off thousands and thousands of workers. Um, so the union gathered and they met and at the at the meeting for this vote uh, or at the meeting for this particular mind uh, there was a, a vote taken um, to get a sense of whether they should go on strike or not and um, they called for the vote and uh, the son here, who was working in the mine uh, fairly new, looked around and he goes, I don't think that was enough. But the, the union leadership said, yeah, we have enough for a strike. And so all of the hardliners uh, were ready to go. They were like, Let, you know, let's strike. And he still isn't real sure, but he goes on strike because that's what you do. And um, you do that. But they were told that they would be getting a, a national ballot um, from, for, for all of the mines, for all of the union members, about about doing it. He kept waiting for it and kept waiting for it. Um, and it didn't really um, show up, but um, he went on strike. And uh, you go on strike, uh, and I remember this from when my dad was a steel worker here in Pittsburgh. Um, you go on strike, that's your strength. Everybody working together. Everybody is united. There is a sense of solidarity there. and. Uh, your numbers are, are your power. And on top of that, you never, ever cross a picket line. So you don't, your life might get uh, kind of dicey, it might get um, hard, it's, you don't, you're not getting a paycheck, you're on strike, things might get tough, but you don't cross the picket line to go back and work uh, in the mill, where others might be. Those, they call them scabs when they cross the picket line. Um, but the promised ballot, right, it never showed. The son was not sure that this should, was really a legitimate strike because he had questions about it. Um, and so the son sat there. He sat for months and months. But he doesn't say anything um, until he just, he can't go another day without working. He, he wants to get back to work. And his father tells him that no scab is going to live under his roof. A very hard and clear line that if he goes back to work, he is not welcome under the roof. Finally, in a, in a fit of just almost nausea, just he's sick at the prospect, but he calls uh, the company. They said they had a secure line that you could call in um, and they could arrange a way for you to get back to work. 
You can't just show up and walk through the picket line. Um, but they tell them, okay, look, um, here's you're going to get picked up early in the morning. You, we'll put you in a van with the owner of the company, and you'll come in, and you'll be able to go to work. And the next morning, he wakes up. He doesn't even eat breakfast. He's so sick. He's, he, he, know, he just knows if he ate something, he'd puke it up. But he gets in, and so they go into this van that has this armored mesh like all around it welded to the van and they, they get in and they drive through a quarter mile of of uh, of a picket line five people deep all of them yelling and shouting at the van and the driver of the van tells them if something bad happens there are baseball bats up on top uh, of the of the rack inside the van and the guy is terrified but um, the police maintain enough order for the van to get into the into the mine uh, area. And as he goes in, he sees his father right on the front line of the line, and his father sees him. And the son knew then and there things were never going to be the same. He expected that at least things would cool off and things would go, but he waited days and weeks and months and years and even decades, and, and his father never talked to him. Thirty-some years later, he, uh, he got a phone call on a Tuesday afternoon from his sister, and he knew, he knew at that moment that his dad had died. He had gotten, he'd called the sister on Sunday, knew that he didn't have very much time um, and talked to her, but had no words about, uh, about his son. So um, that, was, that relationship was broken in, um, in many ways. But the story ends. He says that the, the son says that he went back to the mining town um, just even decades after his dad died. The town was... The town was pretty much shuttered up. There was, there was almost nothing going on there. It was really kind of a company town. and uh, Nothing was going on there. Um, but he got out of his car and he looked at, these, at his, at his uh, the old house and looked at, around and reminisced about some of the things that were going on. And one of the neighbors walked out and, and recognized him immediately. And the only thing he said to him was, what are you doing here, Scab? That stuck with him and in that guy's mind with this guy forever. I heard the story and I thought this is this is this story, I mean like many other stories, is about identity. Who am I? Who am I in relation to others? Um, it's a it's a foundational question that we ask as human beings. And there are a number of identities at play here, right? The, the son's sense of who am I, um, but who, also who am I in relationship to my father? Uh, who am I in relationship to others? Um, how are identities being imposed upon him? Um, and does he accept those or not? Um, clearly in the story, the son seeks his own identity distinct from the father's. He wants to be a minor, but he, he, he looks for um, something slightly different. He does go back to work. Um, 
the father's identity is deeply rooted in what he does, and um, perhaps that identity is deeper for him than his relation, his identity in relationship to his son. While the father-son relationship should be vital in discovering their identity, uh, the relationship with other workers and the, and the union uh, has moral demands in play there as well. There are, there are ways I think we think about our identity that um, our identity sometimes, I think we think that it is a genetic sort of fate foisted upon us. What we are, who we are because of the way our genes connect. And then there are others that, ways of thinking about it, well really we are whatever we, we will become whoever we want to become. And, it's, and it is under our own power, uh, we become the sole arbiters of our identity. And of course, it's, I think it's, it is more complicated. Our identity is formed through the influence of many things, our gifts and our talents and our passions and our genetic makeup. Um, but we're also deformed by harmful forces that seek to make us less than what God desires us to be. So when I heard that story, that father-son story, that identity that falls apart and there's there's good and bad in, in, in the formation. I thought here today in our gospel reading is another father-son story. It's also about identity, each to the other and in relationship to others outside of that. So after birth and early childhood stories, um, we jump over about three decades of Jesus' life to hear the voice not of Jesus right now at the beginning of the story, but of John. The baptizer. John is at the river, Jordan, baptizing people and calling them to repent. Repentance demands that we look at our lives um, and find it wanting or broken or lacking in some way. And we must see that something is wrong. Um, and not just on individual levels. John is calling Israel, the, the people, to repentance because their relationship with God is out of whack. Along with the individual understanding of identity, we, we ha also have larger nets of understanding that connect us one to another. Um, the people of God are threatened with losing their identity through their own unfaithfulness. So John is there at the side of the river calling people to return to who they truly are. But John's baptism of repentance isn't enough. Even John recognizes that John is the start, but his call to repentance is more the diagnosis unless the cure. John points to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. John looks forward to the one whose presence can change not only just who we think we are, not just who others say we are, but who can create a new and lasting identity. Jesus shows up on the banks of the river to be baptized by John, and in what John recognizes as an absurd scene, Jesus submits to John's baptism. Jesus is baptized to acknowledge John's place as prophet and to stand with all of humanity. Jesus shows his solidarity with us. And like workers on the picket line, that becomes our strength. For as Jesus comes up out of the water, 
the heavens split apart and the voice declares, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The declaration of Jesus' identity as God's son is the declaration for us? Is it for him? Maybe both. But here is a sign that Jesus' identity is deeply and intimately wrapped up with the Father's identity. What the Father has been up to and is up to and will be up to. Here is the confirmation that Jesus will be up to that as well. Since the rebellion of humanity in their attempt to take God's place in the world, shattering the relationships that existed in harmony, God has been at work to heal and to bring peace and redeem humanity. Now Jesus' identity and relationship to the Father is declared. And Jesus' authority is made known. His baptism is one of the classic epiphanies that proclaims his identity to us. So that when Jesus later in the Gospel of Matthew tells his followers, go, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the command and the promise are clear. The baptism that Jesus offers does not sever our identity completely from what happens before, but in our baptism, Jesus takes our identity with all of its brokenness and declares us to be nothing less than daughters and sons of God. And as Paul writes in Romans, when we were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized in his death. What starts at the River Jordan is, in one sense, and probably fully completed on the cross, So that all the voices that seek to bend our identity from our loving and gracious God that works at driving us apart from our neighbor might be silenced. Our baptism is not just a declaration of our desire to turn to God in repentance. It's primarily God's declaration to us that we belong to him no matter what we might have done. Our baptism into Christ is the mirror image of the Father and the Son minors. In the story, what the son does severs his place from the father's house. Our baptism into Jesus' death becomes our union with him. So the declaration made to Jesus is now aimed to us as well. Baptism is God's act toward us that is made sure and certain because it is based based on the one upon whom the spirit alighted like a dove, who went to the cross, who showed his faithfulness to God's work. And the promise stands fast. We are God's beloved children with whom God is well pleased. Our identity is set. And so now what? Hopefully our eyes are open to see where God has been at work all along, shaping and guiding us for this task, that we might bring light and love to others, where we too work in ways small and great toward healing and peace and wholeness. The promise of baptism aligns us with the work of Jesus in bringing in the kingdom. The promise of baptism ensures that when we return to God as our place of belonging, we don't hear, what are you doing here? But welcome, for we are truly home. Thanks be to God.